This morning, we're continuing a series of messages called True Identity. And when we began this series, we we're sort of asking that question, who am I? Which is such the common question in the world that we live in is, is it, where do I find my identity? Who am I? And how do we discover it? How do we know what that is? And, and, and here's sort of a question for us as we look at this question of, of our identity is, is that in a culture of celebrities, who matters? In a culture of celebrities, who matters? Right? I mean, we live in the world of the influencer, right? I was talking to somebody here recently. I can't remember who it was. And they were talking about, uh, you know, that question of asking a young, it was a young person, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And, and, you know, it's like the standard, like, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman, all this. This 10-year-old, I think it was a 10-year-old boy, answered, I want to be an influencer. 10-year-old, I want to be an influencer. And, you know, and, and we sort of, within the, the modern world, we know influencer, right? It's the beautiful people. It's the person who, you know, gets enough hits, gets enough, you know, clicks, gets enough uh, likes, gets enough attention that somebody's going to pay them to sponsor their product so that they can influence the world. And the whole measurement is, is it how many people like me? Now, I, I sort of resent the, the word influencer being stolen by the whole social media world because every one of us in the sphere that God has placed us is called to be a person of influence, to be an influencer. And this morning, as we look at this message of true identity, the title of it is it, Junia, I am seen and, and known. And I want to look at some stories of what is it that makes us seen and known. I want to start with a story of, of a woman uh, by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. Now, Elizabeth Elliot, if you're older, you might recognize that name. If you're younger, maybe you don't. Elizabeth Elliot um, sort of rose to fame through the, actually, the martyrdom of her husband, Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a very passionate man for God. He uh, he and Elizabeth married, and they became missionaries into Ecuador, and they went, and they had a heart of reaching a tribe of Indians that had not, um, had not heard the gospel. And Jim Elliot and um, a number of other men, missionaries, had flown into this area where they were and had been killed by this tribe. And they'd become martyrs for the faith. And that was back in 1956. That Elizabeth Elliot um, went away, but then came back and spent um, two years as a missionary to the tribe members who killed her husband, and a number of them came to faith in, in Jesus. And then she returned to the United States after many years in South America, and, and she became a widely known author. Um, she wrote over 20 books, um, and and also traveled around speaking to various people and, and sharing her knowledge and her experience. And she was a very devoted follower of Jesus. She was a passionate follower of Jesus. And she was a person of influence, particularly when my wife and I were in college just like five years ago or something like that. I don't know. 
maybe a little bit longer. In the fall of 1974, she became an adjunct professor on the faculty of Gordonwell Theological Seminary. And for many years, she taught a popular course titled Christian Expression. And in the 1970s, she also served as one of the stylistic consultants um, for the Committee on the New International Version of the Bible as it was being translated, and she appears on the NIV's list of contributors. And then from 1988 to 2001, she also had a radio program, daily radio program called Gateway to Joy, and she almost always opened up her, um, her radio program, You Are Loved with an Everlasting Love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot. And then she would go into her radio program. You younger people, that's called, you know, a podcast in the old days, right? You know, podcast. Elizabeth Elliot was somebody who had a tremendous influence on a generation and continues through her writings. She lived until she was about 88. I want us to turn to scripture and to hear another story. And if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Now, the book of Romans um, is this fascinating book. I mean, it's like Paul's magnus opus. I mean, it is his theological uh, writing of the foundation of the Christian faith. It is where people dig deep and, and study deep Paul's words of this letter that he wrote to the Roman church of establishing the foundation of what Christianity is and how it functions. I mean, it's a, it's a deeply theological work. But at the end of the the book of Romans, it gets very personal. It gets very practical. It moves sort of from theological into his community that he is have, has been engaged in as he has been a minister of the gospel. And in, in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, there's a list of names. Have you ever come across a list of names in the Bible? And you're like, uh, no, I have skip that, right? You know, it's just like, Particularly in the Old Testament, you know, genealogies, you, you, you've tried to read them once, and 90% of the names you cannot pronounce, and you have no, and so you're just like, we're just going to skip over that. And so you might do that in this passage as well, because Romans 16, 1 through 16, is a list of nobodies who were God's somebodies upon whose shoulders we stand today. Let me, let me say that again. It's a list of nobodies who were God's somebodies, and we stand on their shoulders today as Cold Springs Church because of their faithfulness, because of their work that they did. And in this list, in these 16 verses, is a list of both men and women. 29 people are identified either by name or by relationship in this list. Ten of them are women. Nineteen of them are men. And I want to look at Romans 16, 7 in particular. All right? Romans 16, 7. In Romans 16, 7, it says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. 
And let's just sort of stop, and let's sort of just sit with that verse a little bit. Because remember, you know, we can sort of look at this Andronicus. I mean, that's not sort of a common name today. Juniah, that's not a common name today. So we can just sort of say, I can't say that. Just slip, you know, flip, you know, past that. But look what is being said. Paul is writing, greet Andronicus, who is a man, and Juniah, who was a woman. My fellow Jews. So they were Jewish, just like Paul was Jewish. And they are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Now, before that, he says, who were in prison with me, right? Who were in prison with me? So they were a little bit of a rebel rousers. I mean, you didn't get caught, you know, the attention of the Roman government if you were just sort of quiet and going about your own way. And Paul kept getting into prison because he kept stirring everything up wherever he went. Well, apparently, Andronicus and Janiah were sort of like Paul. And they'd been in prison together. They are highly respected among the apostles. Now, within this, there's different ways that this is translated. And so there can be different ways that it's understood. But I think a proper understanding of this is that Andronicus and Juniah were apostles in the time of Paul. And this is where some, there, there might be within your Bible, there might be a, like an asterisk or a footnote next to the name Juniah, where it might say, or Junias. Juniah is the feminine um, of that word. Junias is the masculine. The problem with Junias is, is that the name Janias was not, is not found in that time as a name that was used. And so part of it, what you see here is, is that sort of some of the theological underpinnings you know, of, well, can a woman be an apostle? And so if a woman can't be an apostle, then Janias actually needs to be Janias. You know, a woman needs to be a man. It's sort of just one of the things that can happen in the church. And they became followers of Christ before I did. And so one of the things also Paul is saying here is is that they became a follower of Jesus before he did. They're older in faith than Paul. Now Paul, when we know his story, he became a follower of Jesus pretty early on. So we might think that Andronicus and Janiah, maybe they were a part of that first wave. When Peter stood up in Jerusalem and preached that powerful sermon and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus, maybe Andronicus and Janiah came to faith in that time. Maybe Paul would have put Andronicus and Janiah in prison because he persecuted the church. Author and professor in Northern Seminary, um, Nijay Gupta, he talks about Janiah um, with great honor, and, and he says, I think of Paul as the great hero of the second half of the first century, he says, but I think of Andronicus and Janiah as Paul's heroes. Gupta notes Paul's mention of Janiah in his letters to the Romans and wonders what Janiah was doing to draw enough attention that she would be in prison. She was being rounded up just like Paul, just like other, other apostles, for disturbing the peace with his new religion. She must have gotten into, onto the radar of the Roman authorities for them to say, this woman is a threat to the good order. In other words, Juniah is one of the many women in Scripture who was wholly devoted to Jesus and whose story can inspire us to great faith, greater faith. 
John Chrysostom um, was a theologian, a pastor, a preacher, a church leader um, in around the 300s AD in the early church. And um, he was such a good preacher, he's such a good teacher, that he earned the name in history of Chrysostomus Goldenmouth. If you're wanting a parallel, think about S.M. York, Goldenmouth. Daniel Frank, Goldenmouth. You know, those are the kind of people that, you know, that he was talking about, right? And the problem was is that his preaching was so good, it got him in trouble because he had a passion for the truth of Scripture and communicating it accurately and clearly applying it to the culture of the day, and he was constantly challenging the culture of the day to conform to Christ. And the political leaders of the day didn't like it, and so he ended up actually being martyred. But he was known as one of the greatest of Christian expositors. And around 344 AD, Chrysostom wrote this, to be an apostle is something great, but to be outstanding among the apostles, just think what a wonderful song of praise that is. They were outstanding, Andronicus and Janiah, on the basis of their works and virtuous actions, indeed, how great the wisdom of this woman must have been that she was even deemed worthy of the title of apostle. When we think about Romans 16, 1 through 16, Andronicus to Juniah, the list of nobodies who were God's somebodies, upon whose shoulders we stand. How do you sit this morning? How do you see yourself? What's my purpose? Now, when we think about identity, our purpose shapes our identity, and our identity shapes our purpose. And we've been asking this you know, question, well, what is my purpose? And we take our cues from those who are closest to us, right? Again, that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, do you, what is your identity? But from a biblical perspective, our identity is this, to receive the blessings of God that are accomplishing the purposes of God. That's your identity. That's your identity. And that when you see you are a person that is fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are created in the image of God, that you bear the fingerprint of God uniquely in your life to be receive God's blessings and to be a conduit of God's blessings, then that shapes everything about you. See, Ephesians 2.10 tells us you're God's workmanship. You, you are the creation of God. You are created in his image. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created you to receive his blessings, to be a conduit of his blessings in the world. That's your purpose in life, no matter where you are, no matter what it is that you arena that you find yourself in. That's not just as a church thing. This is a world thing. This is a, our life thing. So how do we do that? Well, the way we do that is through the grace of God. Let's look at this word grace. What does this word grace mean? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 
Starting in verse 4, Paul writes these words. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, what does he mean by grace in here? Is he talking about saving grace? Is he talking about, well, you know, Christ apportioned a little bit of saving grace towards you, a little bit more towards me? No, he's not talking about saving grace. He's not talking about the grace that brings us into relationship with God. He's talking about the grace that empowers us to live a life that serves him and makes a difference in the world. Look at verse 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This word grace can also be translated gift. So the gifts of the Spirit are graces of the Spirit. The gifts of God are graces of God in your life so that you can receive the blessings of God and share the blessings of God. You are gifted. You are gifted. You are gifted. Did, did, did you hear me? You are gifted. Now, our giftedness, you're like, well, what, I don't know, what was my giftedness? And here's what I find is that our giftedness is often a combination of a natural interest and ability that is also supernaturally empowered by God to bless and strengthen others. Our giftedness is a combination of natural interest and ability that is also supernaturally empowered by God to bless and to strengthen others. You are created in the image of God. You are created the fingerprint of God upon your life. And you express God's grace in the world that you live. You are gifted. And everybody is gifted. Everybody. Everybody sitting here in this room. Everybody who's listening online. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a person of faith, you are gifted by God. And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, if you haven't crossed that line of faith, that God has put things in you that are waiting to be unleashed and released in your life that are going to bless you beyond what you can imagine and bless others when the Spirit of God, you surrender to the Spirit of God and allow Him to come into your life. Everybody is gifted. So how, how do we know that? Where do we see that? Well, go back into the Old Testament in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Joel was a prophet, and Joel prophesied ahead of what was going to happen and actually pointed to what was going to take place when Jesus came on the earth. And this is what Joel says in Joel 2, 28 and 29. Then after doing all these things, all those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. When are those days that Joel is talking about? Those days that Joel is talking about are these days. 
Those days began when Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and was seated at the right hand of God, unleashing his kingdom in the world that's not going to be complete until he comes back. Those are the those days. They're these days. Right now. Right now is when this prophecy is being lived out. Everybody is gifted. Now, within Scripture, we see this in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, is, is that we see that there uh, can be described leadership gifts. Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And their responsibility, Paul says, is to equip God's people to do his work to build up the church, the body. That those leadership gifts are given in order that the, the, the church can be, have a strong foundation, can be strengthened, and it can be built up, that it can grow. And some have leadership gifts. And then there's body, what I would call body gifts. And in, if you turn over it into the book of 1 Corinthians, is one of the passages, and there's numerous passages where Paul teaches on the spiritual gifts, and there's some in Peter as well. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 12, and it says in verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. And then he goes on, he begins to describe what are some of those gifts. It's not an exhaustive list. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. same Spirit gives a great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. And it goes on and gives some other examples. And then down in verse 11, it says this. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. That the Spirit is the one who is releasing those things in your life. The Spirit of God. And, and here, here's the thing. Did, did, did I tell you? Did, did I tell you this? Everybody's gifted. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, didn't overlook the short people in the room. You know, it's like, oh, missed you. Sorry, Pam. Sorry, Jen. Sorry, Paul. You know, I, I'm not going to make fun of people. I'm not. I'm not. But that's so, I mean, if I get in an argument about, I, there's an argument that always goes on about this whenever I talk about giftedness. It's like, well, Jesus missed me. I don't know what it is. And they may not say it out loud, but there's people sitting here right now going, I don't have one. I don't have one. Well, you need to take that up with Jesus because he says differently. You need to take that up with the Spirit. Everybody is gifted. Now, here's some things about gifts that are important. This, the gifts are given to you. You are given gifts. It's given to you, but your gift is for others. And that's, this is a cultural thing of where we think everything's about us, right? Americans think everything is about us. It's about me. It's like, if I have a gift, that gift is for me. No, the gift that you have is not for you. It is for somebody else. It is for others. Here's another thing, is, is that our gifts are discovered in community, Again, we tend to be very individualistic. We're going to take a you know, gift, spiritual gifts assessment, which could be an okay thing to do. But if you want to discover what your spiritual gifts, ask those people who know you the best who are around you. Say, how do you see 
the work of the Spirit of God in my life? How do, what do you see as the strengths and the abilities that God has put in my life? That's where you're going to have the, the, the best assessment because we discover our gifts in community. And maybe you're sitting here and you're having this silent argument with me about whether you have a gift or not. Here's my encouragement to you. If you are having that conversation, argument, all right, go to the connection corner and connect with one of our pastors, one of our leaders, and sit down and have a conversation. And we'll help you to discover what is the gift that God has within you because we discovered them in community. Here's another thing about the gifts is that the gifts are equal in value and importance. There is no gift that is of greater value or importance in of all the spiritual gifts that God gives. But they do differ in expression and scope of impact. And I talked about leadership gifts. And leadership gifts often have a broader scope, meaning that they impact a broader and a larger number of people. But just because you are impacting a broader or larger number of people doesn't make you more important or your gift more valuable to the kingdom of God. One of the places where it talks about spiritual gifts is it, it parallels it to the human body. It says, you know, not everybody can be a hand, not everybody can be a foot, not everybody can be a nose, not everybody can be an ear, an eye. Is that we, we all are different parts of the body. And when the body comes together, when all those parts work together, then that's when the body is healthy. Anybody here have any part of your body hurting right now? I got more and more parts of my body that's hurting right now. You know, it just seems, I think it's called age. I'm getting older, older. And you know, when, when something hurts, like, like something's out a little out of line, you're like, oh, I can't walk very well. I don't know if I can make it up those stairs. And if I make up those stairs, will I make it down those stairs without help, right? You know, in the same way, when our body, the body of Christ isn't functioning, when all the parts aren't coming together and they're not healthy, then we're hobbled. Here's another thing about spiritual gifts, is that we grow our giftedness as we use our giftedness. We grow our giftedness as we use our giftedness. And one of the ways that we do that is we grow in awareness of what that gift is as we begin to share our gifts, our abilities with other people. And then we also grow in the skill of how we do that but we also grow in discernment. Just because you have a gift in something doesn't mean that you have to use it every time there's an opportunity, just so you know. All right? That, that you have to listen to the spirit of when God wants to use that gift as a blessing in another person's life. Let me give you an example of how this works. I think it's, the, it's where God gifts us for the season or for the need that God presents before us. Because a few years back, I was uh, doing a, a sermon series through the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, um, in Romans 4.17, there was this passage that I was preaching on. And it's talking about Abraham and the importance of Abraham within our faith. And it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, talking of Abraham, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Paul is giving a description of, of the God that we serve. And the description of the God that we serve is who gives life to the dead 
and calls into existence the things that do not exist. During this time, there was somebody who was a part of our church at that time who'd had multiple massive heart attacks one night and was barely kept alive by, by um, emergency services. Ended up at Marshall Hospital in the ICU and was in horrible condition. That there was no indication that he would be able to live on his own without the ventilator, without all of the, the machines that were keeping him somewhat alive. And people were praying for him. And I remember this verse in God saying, go to, go to the ICU and pray this verse for him. And they were at the point, I believe, at that point where they were deciding whether they were going to take him off life support because life support was the only thing that was keeping him alive. And I went in, I got permission to go in, and I did what I always do is I anoint people with oil, I put a cross on their forehead, and I laid my hands on him, and I prayed this scripture that you are the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And will you, Jesus, heal our brother? He didn't wake up when I was there, but he woke up after I did. And he came off of life support, and he lived where they were going to turn him off of life support. God has used me in a number of situations through my 25 years here to pray for people because that's what we believe in that. We know that God changes situations and he changes, he heals people. He heals relationships. He heals bodies. And people have been healed. I don't see myself having the gift of healing. I've also prayed for a number of people and they have not been healed. My job isn't to determine that. My job is simply to be obedient. What is God's gift in you, and are you willing to be obedient? Here's another faith story. Some of you might have heard of John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of uh, Methodism. Um, he came from England or the United States, rode horses all over the place, evangelized, people came to faith. But you probably haven't heard of John Wesley's mother, Susanna. John Wesley's mother, Susanna, was married to a preacher pastor as well, and um, she is, um, there's a, a situation that was uh, written about uh, by Beth Felker Jones, where um, Susanna's pastor husband went on a trip in order to go and preach. And so he did this interim, you know, or this itinerant pastor thing. And he left an intern um, to oversee the church that he pastored. And Susanna deemed that the interim's ministry skills were to be were lackluster, and she decided to hold her own prayer meetings in her kitchen. Well, her husband heard about this, who was out, you know, riding a horse somewhere, preaching to other people, and he rode his wife, Susanna, and told her to stop it. It wasn't an email, no phone calls, you know, no cell, you know, no cell service, no internet. That's not, it's like, you know, here's, here, take this back to my wife, ride the horse, go deliver this letter. So she wrote him back 
And she said something like this, if you will absolve me of the responsibility of the souls that you have left in the care of someone inept, I will gladly stop. She continued the prayer meeting. <laughs> Who gets to be used by God? Everyone. Everyone gets to be used by God. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. It's not a masculine statement there. This, Paul is not just writing to the men of the church in Ephesus. Sons of God was a form of saying the community of God. For as many as you are baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. Remember Joel. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. So what's a prerequisite for being used by God for his glory and the blessings of others? Is it holiness? Is it perfection? Have you looked around and seen some of the people that God uses for his glory? It can be holiness and perfection. Because you've thought as well as I've thought, really, you chose them? Really, wasn't there a better, you know, qualified? I mean, I know that person, Jesus. Really? You're going to use them? And then somebody's probably saying that about you and me, too, though, by the way, just so you know. Is it holiness and perfection? Is it knowledge? You know, this is obvious, oftentimes the biggest argument. I haven't gone to Bible school. I haven't gone to seminary. I haven't read through the whole Bible. I don't, haven't memorized enough scripture. I've never done that. I don't know how to, I, I can't, you know, explain my faith. I can't, I, 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 don't, I don't know enough. Is that what it takes to be used by God? How about age? You have to be old enough. You, have to, you, know, you can't be too old. You can't be too young. Is that what it takes? Is it gender? You have to be a male? Be a female? Is it power? Is it wealth? It's none of those. You, don't want, to, you want to know what the thing that is needed for you to be used by God? It is surrender. It is Surrender. Are you willing to surrender yourself to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to be used, to be, receive the blessings of God, and to pour out the blessings of God? Galatians 2.20 is my sort of core verse. It's been for years and years. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and delivered himself up for me. That's called grace. That's called grace. Now, the verse before Galatians 2.20, verse 19, talks about the law. The verse after Galatians 2.20, verse 21, it talks about the law. And here's the thing, is that Paul is making a contrast. And here's the law is what you can do. Grace is what God does. Surrender to grace. Because God wants to do something in you and through you. You are seen and known. You are seen and known. The young, you're seen and known. If you're, if you're a young person here, you are not too young to be exercising your gifts for your blessing and for the kingdom of God. Now, some of you think, I'm too old, right? You know, I got my social security check at 67. I am retired. That is not God's agenda. That is not the way God works. There's no retirement plan 
in the kingdom of God until you get and you, and you talk to Jesus. And then even then, I think there's things we're going to be doing. Are you a woman? Are you minimized? Are you imperfect? Yep, you qualify to be used by God. Abby Perry wrote an article called The Hidden Figures of Christianity Celebrating Women Who Shaped Our Faith. And she said, as we look to women throughout Christian history, we are, of course, discovering stories of flawed people, which, by the way, is all people in the story of God. The goal of unearthing and telling their stories is not that we might create a roster of idols who call for our worship. Instead, these stories can remind us that ever since the fall of humankind, God has been working through sinful people. In that spirit, Hunter Belis and Lauren Bowerman encourage listeners of their Journey Women Ministries podcast to consider these women in their humanity. They weren't perfect, and they probably didn't desire the difficult set of circumstances that they endured. In fact, oftentimes we can see in their stories their struggles with fear, insecurity, and doubt. They point us to the greater hero, Jesus, who empowered them to do great things for God's glory. By God's grace, we can do the same by continually orienting ourselves to him as we go about the work he has set before us. If you want to be used by God, no matter if you're a man or you're a woman, you're young, you're old, love Jesus most. Surrender to him. Who are you? Who am I? You are the beloved of God. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot. So here's the questions. Where are you gifted in your life? If you don't know, ask somebody. They'll tell you. How has God used you to bless and strengthen others? That's an indication of God's work in your life. How are you developing your gifts in your life? Use them. And what needs to happen for you to surrender your giftedness in time to God to bless and strengthen others? Let me read that again. What needs to happen for you to surrender your giftedness and time to God? If you are going to be filled with God's blessing and a conduit of God's blessing, it will require sacrifice. You will have to surrender. But whatever you surrender, there is so much more that God has for you. Who I am flows from Jesus, the great I am. Who you are, who we are flows from Jesus, the great I am. Love Jesus most. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have gifted us, that you have called us, that you have empowered us. And your grace and your love is not without Lord, I pray for this body, Lord, that we would just have the courage to surrender to you and that you would unleash in us and through us a mighty movement within this body, within this community, within our vocations, within our families, something that cannot be explained by who we are or what we can do, but only by what, who you are and what you can do. Do that, Jesus.